The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. Hey, I'm Kevin Hatch. I was, uh, they call a PK, preacher's kid. I'm actually the preacher's kid of a preacher's kid. Couldn't have asked for a better, a better home situation, better family. Around the age of 17, you know, like a lot of teenagers, got a little rebellious and started dabbling with uh, alcohol a little bit. By the time I had reached 19, I started to realize that I may have a little bit of a problem. I went to a couple AA meetings um, and listening to them, honestly, I, I was like, okay, I was wrong. Like, that's, that's not me. When in actuality, it was the beginning of all of that. Jump forward a little bit, when I was 23, my father passed away due to some complications of uh, heart surgery. Losing him was a huge hit, and the bottle was my best friend. I mean, it, it just, it took away the pain. I'm an extroverted person anyway, but it just helped me go that extra mile when I was in the public eye. If I was out at a party or something, you know, I was the life of the party. And that's, that was great for me because I could just escape reality and just be whoever I wanted to be in those people's eye. The more I got into the music scene, DJing and hip hop and whatnot, I started doing that regularly. It helped dictate who I thought I was. Instead of me being the authentic me, the alcohol became who I was. And so to get to where I could even function properly, I would have to start the day with a drink and got to the point where the drinking was way out of control. I was no longer in control. The bottle was completely in control. You know, I met my wife in 2002. She was aware of my drinking in the beginning, but not to the full extent. We had our first child, our daughter Ayla, in 2012. And that wasn't even enough to really kick sobriety in. In 2014, I uh, created a record label, a little independent imprint and I'd actually been sober for a while. When I was first getting the business end of it started, I was so focused on just that, that everything else was taking a back seat. And it led me right back into, into more drinking. The rock bottom, if you will, was our separation in 2016. I went through some ups and downs, um, a couple different rehabs, was there for a few months, thought I had myself together, moved out. It was from there that I ended up in the emergency room a handful of times within a two week period and then finally reached out for some help. What is freedom and what does it mean to live truly free? It takes a lot of courage for a guy like Kevin to share his story of getting trapped in addictions. And so we, obviously I'm priming the pump with the idea of addiction. So let's just lean into what we as Americans fundamentally believe, which is we're all about freedom. And some of you here, because you're movie buffs, you're like ready to yell, freedom, if you're old enough. For us, you, you're young and you have no idea what I'm even talking about. But um, So what is freedom and what does it mean to live truly free? Not politically but personally free. And if you're not aware, as a nation, as a state, as a community, we're in crisis. 
And it'd be easy, or it'd be easier to pretend like we're not in a crisis, like we could just hide from it, hope that it would just go away on its own, and then we could depersonalize it and pretend like it has nothing to do with us, meaning that it's someone else's problem. But when we talk about the issue of addictions, it's not someone else out there that we don't know. Right, so let me start, start by giving you at least a little bit of the current situation, our own community. Right in Hagerstown, in 2018, uh, our numbers actually went up as far as the impact of the opioid crisis. Now, we heard a story about alcoholism and addictions, but specifically right now as a nation, we're dealing with something very specific regarding the opioid crisis, including heroin, fentanyl, and carfentanyl. And so in the last couple of years, we've seen the number of people uh, ODing uh, when it comes to heroin uh, significantly jump up, and that's because because a lot of these drugs are getting laced with fentanyl, which is having a significantly greater impact on their body, and now we're seeing an increase in the number of overdoses. And so in 2018, Washington County's numbers went up, even though the state numbers went down. We were one of the few regions that our numbers climbed. So we had 485 overdoses that required uh, Narcan shots. If you don't know, Narcan is the name brand uh, shot that they give to reverse the effects of an opioid overdose. We have 485 Narcan shots administered. Uh, unfortunately, 80 individuals, we would say 80 fatalities or 80 individuals died from an opioid-related overdose. This year, our numbers are not trending positively. Uh, they're about on par with what they are last year. We have about 250 um, Narcan shots administered and about 38 individuals that have uh, passed away due to uh, an opioid overdose. And, and that's just only regarding overdoses. Obviously, we're dealing with heroin, opioids, uh, fentanyl, carfentanyl. And, and again, as I said, the reason why some of these numbers are jumping is because of, the, of this stuff being laced with their fentanyl and carfentanyl being added to, uh, to heroin. And so, if, if, again, if you don't know much about this, uh, fentanyl is about 100 times more powerful than heroin. It was never meant to be taken by a human being. It's actually meant for like hippopotamuses and horses. And so when you're doing anything you're taking that was meant for an elephant or a hippo, it's going to get you in trouble, I'm just saying. But obviously, we realize that now that stuff is being put into um, drugs on the street. And so when somebody takes it, they're getting profoundly affected by it. It causes an overdose. And obviously now we've got schools, colleges, uh, all our EMT are, are, are now carrying Narcan so they can quickly respond to an overdose. Uh, you might not be aware of this, about 20% of high school students admit to abusing prescription drugs. And again, if you don't know much about this, 80% of individuals that end up hooked on heroin got there through using or abusing prescription drugs. How is that possible? Well, here's, here's what happens, right? Someone is taking a prescription painkiller to kill pain. The challenge is the pain doesn't go away, and so they need to continue to take some type of drug to deal with the pain. And so eventually they shift from drugs they can get their hands on legally to eventually the pain not going away. And so you start finding other means to treat the pain. But let's make this a little more personal because, again, you could just talk about this in theory. And you and I know this isn't just theory, right? This is our next door neighbors. 
These are our coworkers, our colleagues. It's their children. It's our kids, our homes, our families, our friends. And that's why kind of we stand in solidarity, not just wearing purple like, yeah, I represent, but truly because our hearts break for our friends, our peers, those that we love. It's not a statistic. It's a story and it's not a number. It's a name. And we know them by name. And you and I have wept at their funerals. Our hearts break. So what are we dealing with here, right? So when you think about pain, that means it's not a drug problem. It's a pain problem. And we're not really good at treating pain. Oh, you and I, we treat pain too. We, you might not be using something, uh, uh, you might not be taking heroin or carfentanil, but you and I, we use entertainment, right? Well, you, maybe you're using some other entertainment source or maybe you're using sex or another relationship. You're using something to either distract you from the pain or numb the pain because all of us have a pain problem. And none of us know how to deal with pain very well. And so the only thing we know how to do is to distract us from the pain or numb the pain. It's just that for you and I, we have figured out more socially acceptable ways of self-medicating. And so what do we do with a community in a crisis, a, an issue that you and I deeply and personally relate to? Well, I wanna bring you back to an ancient story. The very least, I'm gonna set the stage, and, and it's this. Jesus had been uh, teaching the crowds, telling them about God's love, and he grew tired, he was worn out, and so he got on a boat, they were right near the sea, and so he got on a boat with his closest friends, and they began to sail across the, uh, the sea, and Jesus was exhausted and tired, and he fell asleep in the boat. And, and while he was sleeping, a huge storm came and began to rock the boat to the point where his friends thought they were gonna die, and so they woke Jesus up. Jesus, don't you care that we're gonna die? He wakes up, and uh, he speaks to the storm, peace be still, and immediately, his power calms the storm, but the storm outside revealed a storm inside of the hearts of his friends, and so then he had to speak faith into their inner storm, because their storm was, who are we in the boat with? Who is this guy? And so Jesus spoke faith and hope to their inner storms, and as soon as he spoke faith to their storms, the story records that they arrived at the other side of the sea, and that's where we're going to pick up. This story is written by Mark, who was an eyewitness to the accounts of the life and the teachings of Jesus. And he captures this moment. He said, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit or something unhealthy, something corrupted inside of him, a corrupt spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man had been living in the graveyards living among, in the cemetery. The man had lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore. They had tried, no matter how many times they tried to bind him, put him in a straitjacket, put him in a treatment facility. He kept breaking free. Not even a, with a chain could they bind him for he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Let me just pause right there. And a way you could read this would be no, no treatment helped. No facility could help him set free from what was binding him. No matter how much investment you made into his life, no matter how much 
uh, how much finances were thrown at him, no matter what treatment process was given to him, no matter who tried to help him or chain him or hold him, they couldn't hold him back from what was driving him inside. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with the stones. So here's what you have, a man that we could very much relate to. No, maybe, maybe you're hearing this and you're thinking, well, you know, it's not like we have people who are running around, you know, cutting themselves or carrying physical chains. They're not trying to break free from physical chains, but we can all relate to and appreciate individuals that have emotional chains, chains of addiction, that no matter how many times they try to break free, those chains seem to pull them back in. And you begin to live among the dead. You begin to live like the walking dead. You just survive. And it seems more comforting and easier to hide and isolate yourselves into a world of death than to have to deal with those that you feel like they're just out to chain you or bind you or treat you. And so this, this man, here he is living, perpetually trying to be treated. He, he wants to set himself free, so he breaks the chains, but the only reason why he was being chained was to keep him from himself. And so now there's this challenge, there's this confusion. Isn't it crazy that the very thing that we think will free us Right, so often what we believe is freedom is freedom to do what we want. And that's what this guy wanted. He wanted the freedom to do what he wanted, but what he wanted was destroying him. And so often when we think we want freedom, we do the things that feel good, that we want to do, not realizing that what we want to do will actually hurt us. And then he meets Jesus. So we're going to jump back in. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell at his, on his knees in front of him. And he shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. And I, I just had this thought how interesting it was that this man wanted to set himself free. He's like, I want to do it myself. But he resisted the help of someone who could set him free. It was, in essence, he cursed the cure. And the one who could actually set him free was the one he resisted most. And so this is Jesus' response. Um, Jesus is dealing with the, the man. He's, he's got these demons inside of him. And a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. And, and a little, there's a little weird thing going on here. Remember, Jewish people don't deal with pigs. Pigs are really corrupt. They're really like they're not allowed to eat bacon. That's why I love being a Christian. (laughs) All right, I got to stop there for a moment. Pork chops and sausage and bacon and ham. All right, so large herd of pigs. Bacon, feeding on a nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the impure, the corrupt spirits came out of the man and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Okay, look, I'm just gonna state the obvious. It's a weird story. Can we all just like, if you're only getting this on video, like I I get it, like 
you're with me. Like, it sounds a little weird. Here's a guy who's dealing with some really corrupt things. He's got some bad desires. He's got wrong and wrong motives. His, his instincts get him in trouble. And Jesus, in order to set him free, rebukes the thousands of demons that are inside of him and sends them into the corrupt pigs. And these pigs, all filled with some demons, rush off a cliff and they all die. It's a, little, it's a little crazy. But here, if you want to know what the principle of the story is, Jesus showed up in a village and set a man who was corrupted and controlled by something inside of him that he didn't want inside of him. And Jesus gave this man freedom and rescued him. And this man's life was radically changed. And so when we talk about freedom, here's the principle that I really want to jump out of this story to you. True freedom is being set free from what controls. Freedom is not doing what you want when doing what you want will get you into more trouble. Like a kid who thinks freedom is not having to follow his parents' rules, right? When you and I were all kids, we wanted to do what we wanted. We thought that's what it meant. If we didn't have to listen to our parents, right, we could eat what we wanted. We could have as much chocolate as we want. It's Halloween. You got all your Halloween basket. and you're, You thought freedom meant you could eat as much Halloween candy as you wanted. But that kind of freedom just means a really bad tummy and maybe throwing up. And then you get your driver's license and you think freedom would be able to put your foot down as hard as you want, only to realize that that kind of freedom gets you in a lot of trouble and maybe even put your car around a telephone pole, right? So we, if freedom is doing what we want, what we discover is that kind of freedom leads to us making bad decisions. It hurts us, it ruins us, and often destroys us. Jesus helped them discover that true freedom is being set free from the things that control us. Okay, so the challenge is this. We're not really talking about drugs or opioids or heroin or carfentanil. Not talking about alcoholism. We're talking about something deeper. Here is the challenge. This is, what, this is where the pain point in our community, in our nation across the globe is that so often treatment centers, especially when you're talking about like 30-day treatment programs, where they get into a lot of trouble is they're only able to treat symptoms. They're only able to get the person out of the actual physical or chemical addiction, but never getting under the surface of what was driving the addiction to begin with. Because what drives the addiction is deep. It's hard to diagnose because we all relate to it. Every one of us feel that, oh, we might use entertainment, we might use a relationship, we might just use hard work. Some of us are addicted to working really hard or performing better or looking good because we're all trying to deal with the pain at the root of what's driving us and driving the addictions. And, and so here, here's what's at the root, right? Our problem is a deeper spiritual crisis that biblical authors in Jesus refer to as sin. Now, don't misunderstand me. I am not saying that sin is the reason. I'm not saying that when you do something, you're sinning. What I am saying is that sin is the source. Sin creates desires. It stirs decisions that drive us to do things that are destructive. Sin tricks us into believing that if it feels good, it is good. 
Sin tricks us into believing that because I want to do it, I should do it. Not realizing that when I do what I want, thinking it's freedom, it often gets me into more trouble. Sin is the root problem. It's a spiritual problem. You can't, you can't uh, deal with it emotionally, mentally, physically, chemically. You've got to deal with it spiritually. And so at the spiritual part of who we are, we are separated from God, driven by our own desires, our own instincts, our own decisions that always lead to ruin. And not just physical ruin, but forever ruin. Okay, that's the end result, right? But God was unwilling to leave you and I by ourselves stranded among the tombs. He was unwilling to leave us chained by our own pain. He was unwilling to leave us chained by our own desires, by our own addictions, by our own um, decision-making that wrecks us and ruins us. And so God showed up through the storms, he arrived on the shore of our life. And when Jesus showed up in our life, here's what he did. He took our sin and the judgment we deserve because of sin on himself. Jesus took the eternal judgment and he carried it on his shoulders. He took our shame, our guilt, our sin suffering, and he put it on himself so that when he died, he died once for all. But Jesus not only died, he rose from the dead. And in his resurrection, he freed us from the grip of sin, from the power of death, the fear of death, and the fear of eternal judgment. So that when you and I believe in Jesus by faith, we are forgiven of sin. I want you to picture this. Imagine sin like a fan or like a, like a motor running in your life. It's the engine of your life, and it's driving you. Now, imagine Jesus pulls the plug on that fan or, I don't know, yanks the spark plugs out of the engine of, that, of the sin in your life, right? He removes the source. Well, if you pull the plug on a fan, like my boys are always turning the fans in our house, and so I'm always coming into a room, and the fans whip around, you turn it off, and it doesn't immediately stop, does it? Right? It, it starts to slow down. And in your life, when you believe in Jesus by faith, what happens is Jesus turns off the source or the power of sin at work in your life. But it doesn't instantly just make it all go away. For the rest of your life, that sin thing is going to be winding down. All right, It's going to be slowing down. It's going to be losing its grip, but it doesn't instantly just go away. And some of us, we think that because I believe in Jesus, it, all the source just shuts off. No, no, no. It's slowing down. It's losing its grip on your life. So here's the deal, right? When we believe in Jesus by faith, we are forgiven of our sins, given new life, which means the source... The sin source is cut off from us. Now, you continue to see the effects of it, and sometimes you still feel the urges, the instincts of it, but it doesn't have a grip on your life. Now, listen to me carefully. When you and I believe in Jesus by faith, and the, the switch of sin is turned off, even though sin is still spinning in our life, we must make conscious decisions to resist sin and follow the way of God. What God does to help us is he puts his spirit in our spirit. His spirit sets us free from the controlling force of sin. Now listen to me carefully. Don't think that I am suggesting that this is some quick fix, easy step regarding addictions. 
I know that there's some misunderstanding within broadly within the church and within Christianity that if you just believe in Jesus by faith, that's all you need and he is gonna set you free. You'll never have another problem. No, 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 that's not how this works. I am not giving it a quick fix, easy answer. Just believe in Jesus and all your problems will go away. If that was the case, we would never get physically sick. We would never have any issues in our thinking. You would never get depressed. You would never have a problem in your marriage. Christians are not rescued from all of the pain and the suffering of the human condition any more than you're instantly rescued from addictions or other life-controlling desires. They're just slowing down. And so I am not saying it's the only step, but it is the first step. Or maybe you're already taking steps dealing with an addiction. Then it is an essential step. If, if we don't treat the spiritual crisis, then all the other issues will only be treating the symptom because the source of all the symptoms is sin. And until we deal with the spiritual crisis, we won't begin to uh, remove the other symptoms that are at work in our life. So hear me carefully. Be very leery of those that try to oversimplify complex issues like addiction. Am I making my point clear? Listen to me carefully. There are a lot of people in your life that will profit and benefit from oversimplifying complex issues like addictions. And here's what they'll do. It happens in the church. It happens in medicine, in psychiatry. Here's what they do. They oversimplify the issue. They say, we have the only answer. If the church, if a pastor, if a book you're reading says, you need to do this one thing and it'll solve the problem. It's a snake oil salesman. They're selling you something they can't deliver because it's not that simple. Here's what happens. Sin, which is the root issue, it's the source issue, begins to affect your emotions. It'll corrupt your emotions. It'll corrupt your thinking. It'll corrupt your physical body, all right? And so you don't just get to treat the spirit. You, you have to treat the spirit. But then you might also have to treat the chemical part of your body. You also might have to treat the way you think. You might have to treat your emotions. You might have to treat the physical body. But if anybody, if a psychiatrist comes along and says, the only thing you need to deal with is the chemical part of your body, a snake oil salesman. If a doctor comes along and says, the only thing you need to treat is the physical part of your body, snake oil salesman, watch out for somebody who's trying to oversimplify a complex issue. No, we've got to work together for your treatment. We've got to work together for a community's treatment. We got to start with the spiritual. But if we only deal with the spiritual and we don't deal with the chemical, if the emotional, the mental, the person that is being set free spiritually will never find freedom from their addiction chemically. Okay, you with me so far? Did I make that really clear? Because I knew I needed to speak, speak to this because there might be some confusion. Some of you might be wondering why I believe in Jesus and I'm still having this struggle. Well, just because you believe in Jesus doesn't mean that you're gonna instantly be free from nicotine or alcohol or an opioid addiction. Even though that addiction desire might have been unplugged, it's still winding down until death. Okay, so now what do we do? Let's jump back into the story and, and let's talk about this guy who meets Jesus, initially tries to push Jesus away and curse the cure. Maybe some of you, you you've never even considered that Jesus and faith in God might be the most essential step in ever finding true freedom. And I wanna say you don't find freedom at all outside of faith in Jesus Christ. Here's what will happen if, you are, if you're freed from an addiction without faith in Jesus Christ. You will trade one addiction for another. 
And you see people who go from addiction to addiction to addiction. They stop smoking and they wear a patch and they have to perpetually use something to treat the addiction. And again, I'm not trying to oversimplify. I'm just being very candid that this is the challenge we face. Without dealing with the spiritual crisis, we will only always be dealing with perpetually pulling fruit off the tree treating symptoms. Okay, so let's jump. Um, one of the things I really want to challenge you with is this. If we, we see this man and we understand that true freedom is being set free from what controls us, then we understand that freedom is a gift. I want, to, I want to challenge you that freedom is a gift, meaning the man that received freedom from Jesus Christ, he didn't earn it, he didn't deserve it, he didn't work for it, he simply received it. And spiritual freedom begins when we receive new life through faith in Jesus Christ. It's a gift. Life is a gift from God. Freedom is a gift from God when you are set free from the desires and the drives that push you toward your own ruin. And when you receive this freedom, you begin to live free, a changed person. You begin to walk in that new freedom. You begin to live different. You begin to live transformed. Yes, the fan or the engine in your life is still winding down, but you begin to talk different. You begin to act different. You begin to function differently because now the the things that once had a grip on your life no longer grip you. Now, let me jump you into the story just a little further as a final challenge then the people began to plead with Jesus. So, so real quick, the, the man, uh, they, they see, this man is set free, and the next time you see him, he's, he's sitting there clothed, speaking properly, a good man. And the people are so scared of what just happened, they plead with Jesus to leave their region. I've often thought, why would you want to get rid of a guy who just set the one man in your city free who you guys have never been able to set free? It's because what you don't, what you don't realize when you're reading the story is this. Number one, they were overwhelmed by the power of God. And some people, when they see the power of God at work, they want nothing to do with it. Just like this man wanted to push Jesus away, all of the other people in the community wanted to push Jesus away. But then something else is really critical about this story. Not only did they want to push the power of God away, here's the other key, right? They were used to using and abusing people like this. And so if Jesus sets all these people free, you can no longer take advantage of them. As Jesus was getting into the boat, and here's the critical part, the man who had been demon-possessed began, begged him, begged to go with him. But Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done. So we're talking about for our city. Look what Jesus does. He sets a man free, free from the things that chained him. And the man says, now I want to get out. I want to go away from being around the people that saw me that way, who saw me in my addiction, who saw me in my pain, who saw me at my worst. And Jesus says, "Uh uh-uh, no, no, go back to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell tell in the Decapolis. Decapolis means 10 cities. So he goes around to all of the cities in his entire region how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. What's the point? Our freedom brings freedom. Would you make a note of that? God wants to set you free so that you can become the voice of freedom to others. Look, this is America. 
If any of you are joining us online, you're from a different country, we love you, and we want to share freedom with you. We want to tell you how awesome it is. But here's the point, right? Like, we, we do fundamentally believe this, that freedom is the greatest gift you can possibly enjoy. And what Jesus does is Jesus goes, don't you hide your freedom. Don't you escape and get out while the getting's good. No, you go back to the very people that saw you in your chains and helped chain you that saw you cutting yourself and you go back to those very people and you say, look what God has done for me. Here is what you quickly discover. The way a community and a city are transformed is when people who are transformed begin to share how they were transformed. And so this man goes back to these 10 cities and he begins to say this, look how my life was changed. Maybe God wants to change you too. Look how I used to be chained. Maybe God wants to set you free from your chains. Look how I used to cut myself and hurt myself and I was self-loathing. Maybe God wants to set you free from your self-loathing and give you hope and give you purpose and give you a life meeting, right? So here's the deal. God gave this man freedom, freedom to love others, freedom to have a future, a future filled with faith and hope and purpose. What was his purpose? To share freedom, to go throughout his community and say, we can be part of a community transformation that offers freedom, freedom that begins with faith in Jesus Christ, freedom that we can share with others, that maybe your life can be changed and maybe you can be set free and maybe the chains that are holding you back, you could be liberated from those. Now listen to me carefully. That means you and I who have experienced freedom have a deep responsibility. In the way that God has set you free, you are responsible to begin to bring that freedom to others. Don't you hide. Don't you just try to escape from the people who, who've known you. Now don't, that doesn't mean you go back into the bar. It doesn't mean you go back on that street corner, but it does mean that in a community, you become part of the solution. Where you used to be, where you used to be someone who needed help, now you offer help. When you're the one who needed a solution, now you become part of the solution. And so that means as a church, we do begin on the front lines of facing down an opioid crisis. That means we love people who are in addiction. We support them. We care for them. We pray for them. We help them get treatment. That means we get behind programs like Brooks House. That means we champion. Right now we're working with Teen Challenge, hoping that we can see them become part of a solution in our community. And the church becomes a champion for the answer and the freedom that is most needed. Now, just to bring you back into Kevin's story, to show, can I tie this up and say, yes, God can change lives today like he did 2,000 years ago. Check out this story. The summer of 17, I went to uh, Teen Challenge. Um, after a lot of prayer and, and talking with a lot of people, you know, I realized that, yes, I have this you know, disorder, you know, it, it's a chemical imbalance in my brain and that I'll never escape. But alcohol doesn't have this magic power over me. So after uh, eight months at Teen Challenge, I came home and uh, just really started to turn my life around. At this point, Jess and I had been separated for close to two years and we didn't just get right back together. It's been a difficult journey, but it, it needed to happen not only for me and my life, but for the life of my family, my, my family being reunited and just how we get along our relationship today. It, those are prayers answered. I'm in a really good place now. Uh, the things with my DJing and music career are going really well. With, with how important music is, I've realized that 
everything else has to come first. God has to be in my life first. My sobriety has to be first. My family has to be first. And now I think I have a really, I'm maintaining a really good balance without it being a trigger or something that is gonna, gonna hinder my sobriety. With the help of the Lord and strong support system, you know, I've been able to maintain 19 months of sobriety. Things are really working out in ways that I could have never imagined. So I give all the thanks to God for you know, helping me through this and, and showing me the, the path that I needed to be on. Look, I, like Kevin, I don't want you just treating symptoms. Every one of us have some drug of choice. Every one of us have that predisposition to self-medicate. Every one of us. If, if I had to show hands, every hand would go up. It's not the only step, but it is the most essential step. And it's the only way to deal with the source issue, and that is faith in Jesus Christ. My, my challenge to you is, if you believe in Jesus, are you part of the solution? Or are you keeping your distance from people that are still chained, that are still bound in addictions, still struggling through life-controlling habits? Or are you willing to say, hey, they're my friend. They're just like me. We, we're in this together and you become part of the solution. But right now, if you're, you're wrestling this and you're feeling chained, I want you to know that your freedom is found through faith in Jesus Christ. And what I want is at each of our campuses, would you close your eyes right now? Now, regardless of what's got you chained, you're ready to acknowledge that Jesus is the only way out. He died for you. He gives you freedom through faith in him. He rose from the dead to give you new life and he wants to set you free today. And if that's you, you're ready for the, for the uh, plug of sin to be pulled in your life. You're ready for God to set you free and forgive you and give you new life. I want, if that's you right now, again, at each of our campuses, right in this moment, I want you to raise your hand and say, yeah, that's me. I'm ready to begin a new life through faith in Jesus Christ. I know there are hands going up at each of our campuses, and so would you keep your hand up right now? As you're raising your hand, I want to take a moment, and I want to pray with you, because what we're doing is we're celebrating, just like this man found freedom through faith in Jesus Christ. I believe that God is meeting you in this moment. Chains are being broken. You're finding freedom through Jesus. His Spirit wants to come into your spirit, and you're beginning to walk in newness of life. Jesus, we want to say thank you for the freedom we have in you, that, that we didn't have to chase you down. You came to us and you set us free. You are the chain-breaking king. You are the liberator of our lives. God, you are the one who gave your life to give us life. And so God, across our campuses, I pray right now, chains would be broken. God, the way people think that has bound them would be broken. Emotions that have controlled them would begin to break. I believe supernatural God, that addictions can begin to be broken right now. And this, this moment is the most essential moment in finding freedom. Gotta pray right now that those that have raised their hand, those that are saying yes to you, they would receive new life, they would receive forgiveness of sins. And we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting Lifehouse Church dot org.